0: Our scripture reading today comes from Romans 8, 18 to 30, and I'm reading from the New International Version. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Just have to get my station set up. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. My name is Abby, and I'm one of the pastors here at Spring Garden. Uh, I want to welcome you all, and um, my family is actually here, my parents and my older sister, so welcome. (laughs) Good to have you here. You can, yeah, I'll turn around and look at them. They don't mind. (laughs) I was very focused on preaching this week, and I totally forgot that my sister and I look alike, and I really could have messed with you if I'd wanted to, so save that for another time. All right, we're going to start this morning with a little clip. Haven't any of you ever had a dream?
0: I had a dream once. malicious, mean, and scary. My sneer could curdle dairy,
1: and violence-wise, my hands are not the cleanest. But despite
0: my evil look, and my temper, and my heart, I've always yearned to be a concert pianist. Can't you see me on the stage performing
1: Mozart, tickling the ivories till they gleam? Yep, I'd
0: rather be called deadly but my killer show tune deadly. Thank you. Cause way down deep inside I've got a dream He's got a dream,
1: he's got a dream See I ain't as cruel and vicious as I seem Though I do like breaking femurs You can count me with the dreamers Like everybody else I've got a dream That's a favourite movie in our house, it's uh, from the Disney movie, Tangled, which is owned by Disney Enterprises Inc. and Walt Disney Studio Motion Pictures. It is not our clip. Um, And if you're joining us online and you couldn't hear the sound for some reason, we did paste it in the link so you can go and check that out later on. But it's this good reminder that everyone, no matter who we are, has a dream, whether you're that guy in the saloon or Martin Luther King Jr., everyone has a dream of what they want to do. And it's okay to have dreams that seem impossible. Now, as Christians, we know that nothing is impossible and that we hope for what we cannot see. That's what hope is. It's desiring something that you cannot see or touch yet. We hope for a time when there is no war and no sickness. We hope that justice will prevail. We hope that evil, the evil we see around us, will come to a swift end. The verses that Victoria read for us talk about this time that we are hoping for, a time when creation will be liberated from bondage and brought into freedom. And during this time of waiting, creation is groaning as if in labor. So there's something very painful and intense about this waiting period. We hope for what we know has been coming all along, right? With labor, you know that new life is coming, which gives you motivation to get through it. But it doesn't mean that it's not difficult. Something else we hope is that this promise in Romans 8:28 is true, that God works together, or works all things together for the good of those who love him. And we're gonna be focusing on that promise this morning. So as you listen this morning, as you hear that promise, I imagine you might look back on your own experiences you've had. For the good ones, it's easy to say, yes, God used that for good. But what about for the bad experiences? Can God really use those hard times in your life, those times of grief or pain or illness? Can God really use those to bring about something good? As we consider this question and this promise, let's take a moment and come to God with our prayers. God, you are good. And as we consider your words now, I ask that you would open all our eyes to see how it has been true in our own lives. And God, may your spirit lead us as we listen this morning. May your spirit lead me as I speak this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are just joining us for the first time, you might not know, but we've been going through a series for the last six weeks called Shape. We've been looking at our spiritual gifts, our passions and abilities, We've been looking at um, our personalities and our life experience and looking at how all those come together to shape who we are, um, but also how God uses those to bring about what we call our kingdom purpose. What is our purpose in the kingdom of God? So this idea of kingdom purpose is that each person has a very unique role to fulfill in the kingdom. You know, we all have things in common. We have things we can do together, But when you look at all these elements of who you are that come together, there is something unique about what you can contribute to the kingdom, about how you can use your gifts and abilities and passions. I know for those of you who took the time to fill out the very long (laughs) shape survey, um, I really enjoyed reading the part about your experiences. You were very open in sharing about the good experiences and the bad, and I Um, felt honored to be brought into your lives in that way, and to see kind of the real life stuff that you've been through, and know where you are today in light of those things. It's important to share our stories, and I'm going to take time this morning to share my story. Um, So you're not going to get a huge exegetical sermon, I apologize if that's what you're hoping for, Um, But I do want to share a little bit about uh, my own journey, and particularly my journey of becoming a parent. Uh, Someone asked me this morning if I've been eating a lot of potatoes. (laughs) The answer is yes. (laughs) Baked potatoes, mashed potatoes, fried potatoes. Um, But the reason is because I'm pregnant, and I've been very hungry all the time. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, um, but more about the journey to to becoming a parent um, of Miles, our son miles. And I've spoken a little bit about it before, so um, I hope it's not uh, repetitive for those of you that have heard some of it. Um, But I do think it's important because to me, it's a good example of God taking good and bad experiences and using them for something that is really good. So I was first called to be a pastor back in 2015, about seven years ago now, And it was a few months later that Bruce and I discovered that having biological children wouldn't be possible for us um, or probable. We were grieving. I was trying to figure out how to do this new role in light of this news that I had had. And of course, we had this question that we had to come together and discuss, how do we want to build our family? Because there were many ways we could choose. But the key, of course, <laughs> was agreeing on those ways. And anyone who's gone through infertility will tell you that it's actually very hard um, for both spouses to agree. You usually have different um, ideas or different preferences of what you want, and we were definitely that case. I had wanted to pursue adoption, uh, but Bruce wasn't really comfortable with all the unknowns and all the questions that come along with that. What we did agree on was that until we agreed, we wouldn't pursue any course. So, having that agreement, we waited. We waited, and it was hard. Hard because I knew what I wanted. Um, In our life group this week, Bruce, he told me, you know, you have the gift of discernment. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) He's like, but you're really impatient with everyone else (laughs) while they're getting to that conclusion. (laughs) And I suppose that's true, I knew what I wanted to do and I knew that it would somehow be good. Um, And I really wanted it to happen now. But because we had agreed to agree, it wasn't happening. So I prayed, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and the weeks went by and the months went by and a couple years went by. And I was a little bit surprised that nothing happened. I believed God could do something, could do a miracle. I've read the Bible, I've read infertility stories, and I know how they end. But no miracle happened. We didn't come to an agreement. And I was still waiting. There were a lot of painful groans, like the text said during that time. And I got to the point where I just stopped praying because it felt like, what's the point? What's the point in praying about this if God's not going to do anything? Fortunately, I had other people praying for me, other people who knew what we were going through, and now as I look back, I know that the Spirit was also interceding on my behalf, on Bruce's behalf, and was working for something good. So, this had happened in 2015, and about two years later, the middle of 2017, we were getting ready to head to Bolivia. We were doing a mission trip with an organization called Canadian Baptist Ministries, CBM, and uh, I was actually leading this trip for my church and another church. And uh, even though I was the leader of the trip, I really did not want to go. I wasn't in a great place, and we were going to be supporting this ministry that worked with kids who were living in prison with their parents. That's something that's hard to wrap our mind around, living in Canada, but for a lot of these families who were living in poverty, if one parent was sent to prison, the other parent had no way of supporting their family with food, so they would all just go to the prisons. And while it wasn't really allowed, Um, There was nothing to do to enforce families leaving, so they would take their kids, um, mom and dad would be in prison, and this would be where they lived, sometimes for months, but sometimes for years. But during the day, the children had to leave the prison. Uh, They went to school for half a day, and then the other half a day, they were with uh, this ministry, um, which we were helping out with, and they would learn about uh, really important things like abuse prevention and, um, you know, what is is okay, what is not okay, um, but then also get help with tutoring and and their homework, things like that. So reluctantly, (laughs) I went, I, I led this trip. Um, and it was good. It was a good trip. The whole time I saw, I saw good things happening, especially in my team members. People were really challenged. People were really motivated to, to start um, things, you know, in their churches when they came home. And it was good. Yet I was still feeling hopeless. Now, as we were leaving Bolivia, Bruce and I were talking about, you know, when you go on a trip, you do that, you know, what what are we gonna do when we get back? Do you wanna have pizza? What do you wanna, what's the first thing you'll do when you get home and are back in the familiar? And Bruce looked at me and he said, I think we should start the adoption process. And I was trying to, you know, keep my cool. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) I was very excited. So that's what we did. We came back to Toronto. Uh, I was going to say we started the paperwork, but I, of course, had the paperwork done already, so we <laughs> handed in the finished paperwork. And we, um, yeah, we got that process started. And uh, I'll leave what happened in Bolivia for Bruce. If, yeah, You can check in with him if you want to hear about what God was doing in his life at that time. Um, it's another really great story. But yeah, we did... We did the process, so we did the paperwork. We had to do a 27-hour training on adoption. We had to find a social worker that would do our home study and interview us and ask about every detail of our lives. Usually, this process would take about a year. um, But again, (laughs) we were very motivated, so we finished in about six months. And then again, it was time to wait. As we were waiting, everyone who was working with us told us, you know, adoption takes a very long time. It can be hard to get a match, one year, two years, if at all. And again, I got discouraged. But life continued. And we had another trip that was planned. This was now in February. We were going to be heading out to a place called Mysticini. It's a Cree nation, which is about a 14-hour drive from here in the middle of northern Quebec. Again, it was February. (laughs) So uh, I had met uh, the pastor of this church, a Cree man, and his wife at a pastor's conference. And he met me, and he said, oh, you should come and speak at our church. Um, I think his reason for that was, oh, you're young. You'll inspire young people to come. And I thought, well, I don't know if it works that way, but sure, I'd love to come. I'd love to be at your church. Uh, So I went home and told Bruce, and I said, I got this invitation, and he said, oh, I want to go. And again, February. (laughs) Northern Quebec, really? Uh, But he was like, no, no, I'd I'd love to go. That sounds really interesting. So we went. uh, We went with a few other pastors and uh, got there. The temperature was, I think, around negative 35 every day. Something to get used to. Uh, But Sunday morning came around. We had gone to the building uh, earlier Um, In the night, we had to set fire, not set fires, (laughs) set the fire um, in the building so that by the time Sunday morning came, it would be nice and warm for everyone. So uh, Sunday morning came and we arrived, and I was planning to speak um, on Romans, actually, but as I was getting ready, just felt God saying, no, this is the time for you to tell your story. And I didn't want to (laughs) do that, so I said, how about no? But I couldn't just shake that that nudge that this was it. This was the time to share our story. And so I did. I put aside Romans and, and shared about what we had been going through. I shared about what I had been going through, about how I was disappointed with God, about how I was feeling hopeless. I shared that even though things were not great, There was comfort in that. There was comfort from God, but also from the people of God in very tangible ways, from the people who were in our church who had committed to to pray for us through this process. Now again, when they invited me to speak, they were hoping that the young people in the community would come. It's not what happened. I ended up speaking to a room full of men and women who were mostly in their 50s and 60s. So all people who had been to residential schools and survived. And I didn't really think about the significance of that until after that moment. But they knew about disappointment with God. They knew what it meant to feel hopeless. And yet here they were in church on a Sunday morning, coming to worship and to pray together and to support each other, and to support me. As I I shared my story, there was a silence that just filled the room. No one was a stranger to suffering. Everyone had experienced it. Everyone had experienced that disappointment in God. And I finished, and the service ended. And then one by one, people came up to me after to share their own stories, stories of infertility for some of them, stories of disappointment, stories of being abused, stories of loss and grief. It was very difficult and emotional, Yet at the same time, there was something very sacred that was happening in that moment. As if through sharing my own pain, I had opened up a space for lament. And God stepped into that space to provide some healing, something beautiful. On our last morning there, we had breakfast with the pastor and his wife and another couple from the church. And in their culture, they always bring gifts for their guests, so they had brought us all gifts and they distributed these gifts to each person that had traveled. And uh, when it was my turn, <laughs> they said, and for you, we have a special gift. And I brought it to show you. They said, we want to give you this, this duck. Uh, it's made of rosewood and you spray it and it gives off this uh, scent of rose. And it was, it's something that they make there and they said we want to give you this duck because uh, a very specific reason Um, (laughs) she has babies babies don't want to stand but okay (laughs) and it's a lovely gift but i think what spoke to me most about their gift was that they were saying you know what it's okay if you don't have hope because we are going to be hopeful (laughs) for you So I took my gift home and uh, set it up in our house, and it's been standing on on one of our shelves ever since then. So we did the drive back to Toronto after that. We wrapped up the last of the signatures on our paperwork, and at that point everything was complete, and so we waited. Again, everyone saying, don't get excited, one to two years. Um, and even then, when you get a match, people often aren't comfortable with what they're reading, so they'll say, no, uh, this, we don't want to go ahead with this match. So I had that in my mind. All right, we've done everything, but now we just wait one, two years. Two months later, we got an email from our social worker. I was supposed to uh, do one more step of applying to an adoption agency, but again, I was like, well, what's the hurry if we're waiting for so long? And she said, I saw in a chat room, there's a baby, might be a good match for you and your husband. You need to apply to this agency now. So I did, we applied and they responded right away and said, yeah, we have a birth mom who's looking for a couple that matches your profile, would you like to meet her? And of course we said yes. Um, But the first step before we met her was actually to read a profile of uh, her pregnancy and Um, based on that we would say okay do we want to go ahead and meet her or are we not comfortable with some of the things we're reading and this is a really scary thing to do um, because on the one hand you're you've been hoping and praying for this for so long but on the other hand um, again you're judging (laughs) off a piece of paper whether or not this is going to be something that is good for you to go ahead with. And uh, I'll just backtrack for a minute now um, before I <laughs> say what happened next. But, um, so earlier in the week, Greg had asked me, you know, what's your, what's your theme for the sermon? And I gave him um, my theme. And then I read the list of songs that got sent back. And my first thought was, oh no. <laughs> Not because they weren't great songs. They are really good songs. Uh, but because two of the songs happened to be uh, songs that we sang at Bruce's mom's funeral. Um, Anne Kennedy was her favorite hymn, and 10,000 Reasons was actually the song that she was singing as she died. Um, she knew that she was dying, and this was a song that I think had just come out, and it was on her mind, um, especially the last verse as she, was, as she was entering into glory, into the next world. And so whenever Bruce hears those songs, it's a very emotional thing for him. So um, I warned him, he's not here. Miles is having his bi-monthly virus, so he's at home with him. <laughs> Um, but yeah, these are songs that were chosen and a great example to me of um, how God brought something good out of something awful because her death was awful. It was sudden, um, there was you know, very little warning and just devastating for the whole family. It happened, I think, yeah, 10 months before we had our wedding set. So a lot of tragedy around that. There was nothing good in that experience. And yet, as I'm opening up this profile for the baby that is being presented to us, the first thing is the due date. And the due date was the date of her death. And at that point, I just started crying. I was like, well, I don't need to read anything else. This is our baby. I know this is God bringing redemption to that day, something good about that day. And so Bruce comes home, and I'm just you know crying in front of my laptop, and he's like, what did I miss? (laughs) And I said, this is it, this is our baby. So we agreed, we met the birth mom, we loved her. She loved us. And June, June 20th, 2018, we were holding Miles in our arms in a hospital room. So from September, when we started our process to nine months later, we had the adoption of our son. Unheard of. Our social worker (laughs) kept telling us that in 25 years. I've never seen this happen. Never. But that's God. That was how God was working in our lives and how he brought our family together. And now we're expecting another baby, and this one came about in a very different way um, and not (laughs) smooth in any way. At the beginning of 2020, um, you know, we had thought, well, maybe we should look into another adoption. We're watching Miles play by himself on the floor, and you know, we try to be engaging, but <laughs> it's not the same as having other kids around. So we decided, okay, let's let's apply. Let's start the process again. Um, we had actually gotten on a list before that to do uh, um, in, in vitro fertilization, what's called IVF. We had to get on a list because um, if you want it funded, you have to wait. And they told us, all right, the waiting period is gonna be two years. Um, That was February, 2020. So a month later, the world shut down. And I said, okay, I don't think that's gonna happen. Let's just move on from that. So we looked into another adoption. We submitted our paperwork and it got lost. We got assigned a caseworker and then met with her And then got an email, oh, that wasn't the right caseworker for you. We need to do that again. Can you send us your paperwork? (laughs) We submitted our paperwork again, and it got lost. And just this back and forth, and I was like, okay, (laughs) this is not, not happening for whatever reason. And as I was considering this, I knew that in my own pastoral role at my church, it was time for a change. And so I stopped thinking about the adoption and shifted my mind to to what is God calling me to next? Where is God calling me to next? And I think there were three different people who said, hey, you should check out Spring Garden. one who wasn't even, you know, a Christian or (laughs) involved in church. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I will. Maybe I'll (laughs) look into this posting because this is coming at me from from different angles. And I did. I talked with, uh, I think, Sam first and then met with a search committee, had interviews. And it went well, I'm here. (laughs) Spoiler alert if you didn't know (laughs) where that was going. (laughs) I remember before um, I was offered the position I I tuned in online and I think Jean you were praying and you prayed for couples who were experiencing infertility and I had never heard a pastor pray for that before ever and that was just something in me said okay this is where this is where I want to be Not thinking that it would affect me (laughs) in any way, but this is is a great church that can pray for things like this that aren't usually mentioned from the pulpit. And so I I accepted the position, and I think I planned to start on March 1st. And uh, I had given my church that I was at before a month's notice and said, you know, I'll be here for a month, and in that month, got an email from the fertility clinic saying, all right, you're up. (laughs) I thought, that doesn't make sense. We got on this list a year ago, and I mean, I didn't tell them that. I said, okay, (laughs) sure, Um, we'll be there. And I started on March 1st. They said, your surgery is going to be March 2nd. Awesome. But I went ahead, and it wasn't a straightforward process. Um, It wasn't an easy process. There was grief that came with it. But again, trusting in God's timing, and... Now, at the beginning of March, we'll be welcoming a a little girl into our family. So that's, that's my story. My story of adoption, about parenting, about growing a family. And as I tell you that, I'm very aware that as I was praying for God to expand my family, that he did so in a giant way, right? He didn't just give me Children gave me a church. And you guys have been (laughs) a great family. Some of you have been through me on this whole process, praying with me and crying with me. I love the way you love, Miles. (laughs) I think you know Sunday mornings are a struggle for us. You know, For two years, the only place we went were playgrounds. And of course now we're like, all right, we're going to go to church. And Miles is like, yes, playground, we're going to we're gonna climb everything um and I remember one Sunday you know he's screaming and Bruce is carrying him out and someone is like oh it's so nice to hear children again (laughs) (laughs) or he's like somersaulting down the aisle and someone else was like oh I love seeing that joy (laughs) So, so thank you thank you for loving him and and loving us in that way as I was going through um a lot of the grief over infertility. Someone had pointed out to me before that, yes, you read these stories in the Bible, but after Jesus comes, you don't read any more infertility stories. And it's not because it didn't happen anymore, I'm sure it did, it happens often to this day, it's a very common thing. But the difference is that after Jesus comes on the scene, the definition of family changes for the people of God. See, before then, family was really about your heir, right? You wanted an heir who could take on your name, who could take on the farmer or whatever the family owned, and that was your security. Especially if you're a woman, this was very important. If you didn't have that security, you would be left to fend for yourself in a world that wasn't kind to women. But when Jesus comes on the scene, The definition of family changes. It's not just about your blood relations. It's about the wider family of God, about those who are disciples of Christ. So even if you are a widow without children, it doesn't matter because you'll have the people of God to care for you, people of God to take you in and to love you and to make sure that people don't take advantage of you. In my family, my family of Bruce and Miles, we know that it's not just about blood, it's about love. We have an expanded family and that it includes our family and a birth family and also a church family. And I tell Miles that. I tell him, you know, being adopted means you have a lot of people who love you. And he knows that. So as I was praying for this family, God opened my eyes to the family that he had for me. A family that has believers from a small Cree church in mysticity. A family that has missionaries and kids who are living in poverty in Bolivia. A family that is here at Spring Garden. And all of this as I consider this experience that has been both good and bad, all of this has helped me in discovering my own kingdom purpose. As I think about what are my gifts, what am I passionate about? It has helped me understand the purpose that God has for me in the kingdom. Part of that is, is speaking about difficult issues. About things that are are hard to talk about, about things that we suffer through. But speaking about those things in order so that we have those spaces open to lament, to hear from each other, and to support each other in that. The passage in Romans compares waiting to labor. I haven't read too much about labor. I'm saving that uh, for, we'll say, next month. But we all know that at the end, there's joy, right? Joy comes at the end of this very difficult and intense thing you have to do. So I know that my own grief is an example of something that God has used for good and will continue to use for good. It will be something that can bring comfort to people who are hurting and, again, have That space where we can just sit in silence or grief, in tears, and in that experience God's grace and love and mercy. And my dream, part of my dream, is that people will see that yes, they can be welcomed into this family of God. You don't have to earn your way in, you don't have to be born into it. It's not about blood. It's about the fact that God has opened up a way for you to be in his family, that God is even seeking you and wants to welcome you. My dream is to see people who are suffering and hurting experience God's mercy and love and to come through that time of suffering and to be able to say, yes, God is good. So now you know what my story is. Question for you is what is your story? The series that we've been doing has been all about better knowing yourself and knowing how God created you. It's about understanding how you belong in the family of God. Yes, this family at Spring Garden, but also the wider family of God and what your contribution to that family might be. As you've learned about your own gifts, your passions, your abilities, your personality and experiences, how do you see that God has been using all those things, the good and the bad, to work together for the good of his kingdom and his people? How have you been called according to God's purpose? You see, God's purpose is redemption. It is restoration. So my challenge with you is to share your story with someone this week. To think about all these things, write it down if that helps, and then tell someone your story of how God has been faithful to you even in the bad times. Or if you can't see that or say that, I think that's okay too. To say, you know what, I'm actually really struggling with this truth, struggling to say that there is good that can come out of this because it feels so heavy. And I mean, talk to us, talk to your pastors about that. We wanna hear those stories too so we can pray with you and encourage you. If you wanna write it down, we are accepting Delve articles tomorrow too, so uh, (laughs) as soon as you get home, you can get on that. But share your story and then share your dream. What is your dream? And surrender that to God. Surrender it to God and then rest in the hope that Christ is your firm foundation, your firm ground in the storm. Surrender to the truth that the Spirit is interceding for you when you can't pray for yourself. As we consider that God is working for the good of those who love Him, for the good of those whom he has adopted into his family. Let's remember that, yes, there is groaning. But in the midst of the groaning, there is grace. The end is glory, and it can be hard to see that. So let's just rest in that grace. Because grace is what will help us get through each day. Grace is what will help us surrender those negative experiences to God. Let's pray. God of grace, we thank you for the way you take the bad things and bring good out of them. And God, for anyone who's in the midst of a bad situation right now, for anyone who is feeling without hope and discouraged, I ask that you would give them that encouragement they need this morning, whether from sharing their story with someone who can speak words of truth into their life, or giving them someone who will sit with them and cry with them and give them that space to lament. And God, we surrender our dreams to you, our dreams for ourselves, for our families, our dreams for Spring Garden. God, may we trust your spirit is praying over those things for us. And may we be bold as we wait to see those dreams realized. You pray all this. In the power of Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.